Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. All right, so welcome to Becoming Buffy, guys. This is our second annual spoiler section. We are thrilled to be here. We're going to be covering actually four episodes today. I mean, technically all of season three, but we never did spoilers for choices for the prom and then for both graduation days. That's crazy. I forgot we didn't do it for those for prom and choices. Yeah, and I was looking back at my notes and I was like, there's a lot to talk about. Um, But I feel like it's been a minute since we've done the spoiler section and I didn't realize how much I missed it. Mm-hmm. We, well, and we're not doing it in season four, and so it's like, this is what hard. it's going to be like from now on. Just like a huge overview. Well, when we started season four, I am – you guys will hear it, but Leah, Riley comes up, <laughs> and Leah's like, mm. oh, no opinions about him at all. Don't know who he is. <laughs> it's just – it's so – I feel like we're back in season one where it's like we're trying to figure out – what to say and what not to say. I mean, I remember when we were in season one, we were like, we wouldn't even give characters names away until it was said. Like, I think we were, we were referring to Joyce as Buffy's mom for like probably five (laughs) episodes or like, we were really good about it. Our angels was like mysterious man. It was like, guys, I don't think people care about their names. The brooding stranger. I think. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, we just cared about stuff like that. Whereas like, I feel like once we started getting comfortable in the spoiler section, it was like we weren't as like rigid about saying stuff in the non-spoiler. Um, so it's just kind of been interesting to be like, instead of being like, oh, I'll just say that in the spoiler section. You're like, oh, wait, no, I can't. So how do I say this in a way that isn't spoilery? Yeah, it's a fine line. And I think we have a little bit more wiggle room because most people know that we're a spoiler-free and spoiler podcast. So Mm. yeah. And at the end of the day, I will say that probably like 98% of the people that listen to the podcast are returning fans. So I don't feel like we're giving away too much. But yeah, you always want to be careful for those few people who are like, wait a minute, I thought this was (laughs) spoiler-free. For the people who objectively think Riley's a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) i mean i have thoughts i don't think he's a horrible guy but you know we'll see all right so let's jump in here guys um my first question is and it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a broader one but this is a common complaint that i hear from many many people who love the show but particularly love bangel um A common criticism of the show is that the first three seasons are superior to the last four seasons, that the show goes downhill after that. And for many fans that I've talked to, they just watch the first three seasons on repeat and don't watch the later seasons. Um, And I'm curious about your guys' thoughts with that. Do you feel like the show should have ended after season three? I think – I feel like me and Tabby are the best people to ask this question simply because me yes. both me and Tabby went through like that exact thing where it was like we both stopped after season three because Angel left and we were like, that's it. We're done. Um, and so I totally get that feeling of like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to watch the rest of the show. Um, but I think I mentioned this in another episode. I can't remember which one, but 
I remember saying like, yes, the first three seasons are tight. They're good. Um, and like the, I feel like the powerful part about the first three seasons is it has the whole idea of, um, also, sorry if you can hear my upstairs neighbors, they're moving. Can't change that. So they've been I can't hear it. So you're all, all good. They're okay. moving? Yeah. They, they've been moving <laughs> stuff in and out all day. Oh, they have a little baby. She's mm-hmm. cute. That's sad. She, she says hi to kid. us all the time. Yeah, Aww. she is. Anyways, um, <laughs> one thing that's really cool about the, the first three seasons is it has an overarching theme of high school as hell. And so um, it really is like an ending of a chapter because they had to change one of the major themes in the show. Um, and it definitely struggles to find its footing in season four. But I think what makes the show Buffy iconic and good, not just like a typical high school show, is the fact that it doesn't stop in high school, that it goes past high school and that it deals with so much like hard things. Um, And you really watch all the characters grow up because there's shows that go past high school, but they're really high school shows. Vampire Diaries is a high school show. Gossip Girl is a high school show. Like, even though the characters don't stay in high school, they don't really grow. They don't really grow up. They don't really face the challenges of adulthood. Um, They face other challenges, but like, they're not adult shows. Whereas I feel like Buffy is such a unique breed because it really, each season you grow with Buffy, Buffy herself, Buffy, Xander, Willow, um, all the other like fluctuating characters in and out all grow. Um, and so I understand wanting to rewatch the first three seasons because it's like comfort and it's like Buffy and Angel are so happy and like, you know, all this stuff, but like, like there's so much Buffy happy good. <laughs> yeah Buffy happy are we watching um, a different show <laughs> well I mean she's happier with Angel um but it's like you know you miss out on Dawn you miss out on Tara you miss out on like Spike's arc which I know a lot of people Anya Anya yeah like there's just even like Harmony Harmony's such a funny character like you just you miss out on a whole other world i really feel like just watching the first three seasons is such a cheap knockoff of the show it's not the whole story it's like it's like reading half of a book because i I, one of my favorite seasons is season five and so i I feel like that's a pretty common thing um Mm -hmm. i also like season six i know people hate season six i like season six but i think it's beautiful i think the show's beautiful and i think that it's so good to watch and it's so good that they didn't stop because we would not be having a podcast if there was only three seasons. To piggyback on that too, like I think that um, like Leah's saying it's not a teen show. I think that it kind of starts out with that, but the uniqueness of Buffy is that they have metaphors for stuff that we all go through. So in real time, as we're growing, like Leah said, we're growing along with Buffy. I think I stopped watching in high school basically only because Angel left. It wasn't because I didn't know the later seasons were good. Angel's um, the hook, always. <laughs> yeah, and I was a huge simp back then. So I was like, I'm not watching now. Um, well, and it's like 
she graduates high school. So many shows suck yeah. after they get they leave high it's school. True. Angel was a main character, at least in my like, yeah, he was in the title sequence. Yeah, he, he was, was the there all character. three seasons. Mm-hmm. Like he was a main mm-hmm. character that was leaving. Cordelia leaves. Like they're just yeah, uh, like for me, yeah. absolutely, it was Angel. Like Angel leaving, I was like, I'm over the show. Uh, but I think it's not just that. I think there's so much shifting that happens at the end of season three. Yeah, that you can. It's feel whiplash that there's from the beginning of season four. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I I'd watched a couple episodes of season four, and every time I was like, it's just so different. But it didn't push through. You know, I think you can make the argument more of should have ended at end of season five rather than season yeah, three. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that when we get there. Which sure. I feel like is definitely a bit of more of a strong argument. I mm-hmm. definitely am not on board with the end of season three. Never have been. Even back then, I didn't think it should have ended at season three because I knew there was so much more to tell through Buffy's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved Buffy more than I loved Bangel. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to see that. So um, that's my well, Also, could there. you imagine if the show did end there? Just Angel leaving? No. There's so much we would miss. Uh, and I mean, obviously, no. Well, the whole foreshadowing that we will talk about between Faith and Buffy, we would have been like, wait, what did that even mean? Yeah, like, Faith's character. Faith, yeah. Faith would have just uh-huh. ended as a villain. Or even Joyce. Joyce, I enjoy way more after yeah. season three. Agreed. Yeah. No, I totally echo what you guys say. I think that season three, if it had ended after that, I think – we could have walked away going, oh, that was a nice like little show or whatever. But I think everybody would have agreed that there needed to be more. Um, I definitely agree with what you said, Taps, about like there could be more of an argument being made for ending at season five. But I'm completely happy with the seven seasons. Well, I shouldn't say yeah. happy. I'm satisfied with the seven seasons we got. I don't – I'm not necessarily happy about all of it and happy with all that happened. But I think that there are good aspects to all of it. I think that each The good season- overweighs the bad. Yes, I think each season progresses ultimately Buffy's arc forward, and I think that's who I'm mainly focusing on. Mm-hmm. It may be setbacks for other characters, but I'm looking at Buffy because the show is ultimately about her. So, mm-hmm. well, but even even in season seven, because I know a lot of people have issues with season seven, um, I still feel like the ending of season seven w- is a way better ending than season three. Like, season seven was and fantastic. I love yeah, the I mean, ending of season ending. seven. I know some people don't yeah. like it. I love it. I personally think that was mm-hmm. the best way they could have ended the show. I love that it ended in a way that if you were an objective outsider who'd never seen the show and just saw the ending would have been like, oh, that seems like a cliche ending. But for someone who's watched all seven seasons of Buffy, the fact Buffy's that it ended never with Buffy had peace. And like, <laughs> it was like, what is this? This is like not what we were expecting, yeah. you know? I always like yeah. to view each finale as if the show actually ended there. And that's definitely the yeah. best ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of the one of the comments they said that um I I can't see their name. It just says hi. So hi. It's fine. Um they said that like they agree with us and that season four was rough, but it still gave us good episodes like Hush, which I always forget that Hush and most episodes are in season four because season four is so like like blip, blip, well, blip, Faith's blip, arc and then it like pops season up. four too. Faith comes back in that episode mm-hmm. where her and Bu- Buffy like switch, which that episode's crazy. But then we There's also would them, never yeah. get Dawn. We would never get Dawn, which is insane to think about because well, she comes I know a lot of people five. don't like – Well, I know. But I'm saying like in general, if they ended it in season three, we would never get Dawn. And it's crazy because like Dawn becomes such a cool character. I know people don't like her, but like 
her whole storyline in season five is so interesting. The fact that they like didn't preface it all and just put her in there. Um, you know what the the dislike of Dawn tells me? The fact that they always cast 30-year-olds for high school students and they're hot and everyone's like, oh, yeah. And they never really struggle with angst. Really good and point. no, it's true. You watch that's Dawn really and you're point. like, she's a high schooler. And this is coming from somebody who works in education. I literally was with junior highs yesterday. And junior high is a little bit different than high school. But like, I was like, y'all are dumb. I love you. But like, you're so well, she's, cringeworthy. Isn't she in um middle school in, in season four? She's like... 13, yeah? Yeah, she depicts like a middle schooler so well. I'm like, you guys, yeah. the reason why you don't like her is because like, I get it. Ain't like, um, teenagers are just, they're very frustrating. And it's like, the older you get, <laughs> the, well, the order, older you get, the more you look at it and the more you feel like you don't get them, which is how everyone feels. Um, but I remember being like so emotionally confused during that time and feeling annoyed yeah. with myself. Justice and so I think Dawn, watching man. it, no, but it's like you watch it and you're like, this girl is a baby. Yeah. And she's going she's through so much best. traumatic stuff. Like, yeah, she's not fun to watch sometimes, but it's real. Like, she's very real. And yeah. I mean, we'll get to it, but like they wrote her younger and then they cast um, Michelle Trackenberg, who ended up being older than what they thought. So she was kind of supposed to, I think she was 14 at the time and was supposed to be reading lines that they wrote for like a 12-year-old. So sometimes there was like a bit of a, a clash there. But like, honestly, people have issues with her almost all the way through, even when they started writing for her age. So Which I don't know that it's so much the writing. ridiculous because it's yeah. like – I yeah, she's a little like she definitely has her annoying moments in season five, but it's like when you consider everything that Dawn went through, I'm the like trauma. Yeah, guys, 100%. could you imagine that? Like, could you imagine the feeling and the emotion going into that, especially as a teenager, like as a kid? No, I I like Dawn's character. She gets on my nerves, but like she's a kid, like. I don't know. Okay. Before we keep going, um, I'm going to kind of jump to the next thing now that we have a few more people here. All right. So we have this moment in the prom where Buffy and Angel break up, and it has a lot of parallels with I Will Remember You. Um, and a common criticism that we hear about Bangel is that Angel repeatedly takes the choice away from Buffy. And that's something that people have said for both the prom and in I Will Remember You. Um when he makes the decision to become a vampire again and takes back the day without hearing her preferences first. Do you guys think, now that we can kind of talk about it in spoilers, because we talked a little bit about it in the prom, do you guys think this comparison is fair? Do you think those two separate scenarios are similar? Um, and also, do you think that Angel is taking Buffy's choice away from her, um, specifically in I Will Remember You, since we've kind of already talked about the prom? Um. I don't really think they're comparable at all, if I'm being honest. Okay. I think the only comparison is Angel making a choice that affects Buffy. Uh, but I think, like, at the heart of it, in this one, he leaves because fundamentally they're at a kind of block. Like, they have no way of moving forward and progressing. And it's painful to stay. And so it's like he makes a choice, yes, because he wants to help Buffy. But it's also, like, for him as well. I think people forget that. But it's like him leaving is also mm -hmm. helpful for him. Um, and then in I Will Remember You, it's more about protection of like mm. her. And it's about okay. protecting like her because he knows that she'll get in, like hurt. But it's also he's aware of the fact that he can do a lot more good the way that he is 
rather than giving it up. I don't know if that answers the question. I just realized that, but no, it's okay. That's fine. That's my answer. I'm trying to like I'm trying to see how those two are correlated. I don't because in the in people's minds, he's taking the choice away from Buffy in both situations. Here's the thing. Can't you say the same thing about Joyce though? Yeah, that's a whole other argument. Um, can, but well, no, because they're saying like she's literally gonna die, and his only option was to swallow the day. It's not like he just was like, "How about I swallow the day?" You know, right. "How about I only yes. remember and Buffy doesn't?" Right. Like he's given an his option. Yeah, he's yeah. he's given two options. Neither are good Get to continue, and also like, wouldn't if let's put like ourselves in Angel's shoes, I would feel really guilty living my happy life with Buffy, knowing that she could save people, knowing that her destiny is that of being in Sunnydale. Like it would feel dirty. And at yeah. least like if you made the decision with the crappy option that they give him of having her go back to Sunnydale, not remember the happy day. Like, I don't know, like you, you know that you at least saved her life that, that she's doing what she's meant to be doing, that um, you're not deterring her away from saving other people. I feel like I'm saying the same thing over again. But it's, it's not like I he just – It's them. not just like yeah. he makes like the same – he makes the decision for her and it just decides right. all of this. It's like he's given a crappy option and I think he made the more noble choice. He sacrificed his own happiness. Yeah. I, and I, I agree. I came – I – Roughly came to the same conclusions as you guys did. I came to three separate conclusions. So Angel's decision to become a vampire is really, honestly, only his decision to make. The decision that is between him and Buffy is whether or not they're in a relationship. And so- Hi said that um, the important thing to remember is that Angel is going to be the only one who will remember that day and he's the one who has to live with it. So ultimately, that decision really only affected him. I think I think that's really fair, honestly, because um, I've heard some people be like, "Well, we all get on uh, Willow for erasing Tara's memory. Why don't we get on Angel for erasing?" That's for I'm selfish like, reasons. He didn't want to erase her memory. Yes, those are <laughs> he didn't want to erase her memory. He literally had to. I'm gonna I, refrain. I 100 percent guarantee you that if he had the choice to have her remember that day, 100 percent he would have. Well, yeah. I'm going to choose to erase her memory that's like not prompted by anyone. Our most perfect <laughs> yes. day ever. We actually got to live out our dreams. I'm going to have her erased. Yeah. So I, I think that I like it's like what you said, Leah. He, it's not like he wanted to have her memory erased. So that's just an unfortunate byproduct of it. He did make a choice, but his options were Buffy dies or erase her memory. What would you choose? You know what I mean? Um, And then – it's important, and I feel like we didn't reiterate this enough in the prom. And so, because I feel like I was trying to go really far away from anything, any decision that Angel made that had to do with Buffy, because I was trying to show his autonomy. And I think I went like too far in the direction where people were like, well, Angel does care about Buffy. He's trying to make a decision that is good for her ultimately. Um, and I totally agree with that. So I wanted to say that Angel is always seeking to do what's best for Buffy, unless he's Angelus. We see that throughout the show. Given that this is a fictional world, and this kind of goes back to like the same argument that people make about Angel being predatory against Buffy, this is a fictional world with fictional characters. We have the luxury to understand 
fully what a character's motivations are and even to see things that we wouldn't if this was a real life situation. And see it through the lens of the lure, see it through the lens of that world. Yes. The metaphor mm-hmm. that they're trying to push alongside of that too. There's so many layers. Um, because it is a fictional world, we understand that th- what these characters want. And so for Angel, we know why he's doing what he's doing. And it's not because he's sitting over there going, Ah, gee, Buffy's preventing me from going and living my life fully. I'm going to break up with her because that's what's best for me. Like, no, Angel's out there going, this is, I I want Buffy to have a full and happy life and, or at least have the chance and the opportunity to have those things and go see if that's what she wants. On top of the fact that Angel's over here going, I still feel like I need to go figure some stuff out for myself. Um, So I think that. There are similarities between the two episodes. I think I Will Remember You is amazing and that it shows growth for both characters because it becomes about more than just what Buffy needs and wants and about their individual greater purpose and calling. Both realize Which is pretty they- much the theme of Angel. Yes. No, it totally is. It's, it's an amazing episode. And I know Prophecy Girls did a fantastic job of covering it. Um, but both Angel and Buffy realize that they have a responsibility to help others, and that can't happen together at this point. There's just no way for it to happen. Um, that it's more than just them that will be affected. At this point, it's other people that are going to be affected. And I think um, ultimately that is a stronger argument than just simply saying that Buffy will have a normal life without Angel. And so I think that's kind of what people wrestle with at the end of graduation day is it's this whole thing of like, well – but Buffy's not going to have a normal life. Buffy still wants to be with Angel, and they feel like Angel's arguments might be slightly weak. Um, so I don't know. I think that the common thread is that they have a, a greater destiny, and they don't belong to each other. Ultimately, they belong to their destinies. Um, and I think that's what makes their love life so much more compelling and so much more of a forbidden love. It's so much know? more heartbreaking. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> it does. Okay, so – Question for you guys. Knowing what we know about Buffy and Angel's relationship throughout the rest of the show, do you guys think that the mayor had a point given that nothing technically changes by the end of the show, like with the cookie dough speech and stuff? Yes. Like she is like human, you know, and with that comes a whole yep. lot of different things. Sure. Like he, he's yep. never going to age. Like they're not going to have children. Yeah. I mean, apparently – they can't have children. I think like it's Buffy's choice and his choice if she wants to live out her life like with someone who's like not gonna sure. age and then he like and then she dies. But like from an outside view, yes. I think yes, he has a point, but I, I think also I may be a little delusional when it comes to the ending <laughs> of the season and their storyline. Because in my mind, they a thousand percent end up together. I don't know. Leah shuts her laptop. She's like, they At end this up point, together. I, the I show think ends. I'm, no, I literally think I'm so deluded into just being like, <laughs> there's no way the Shanshu prophecy didn't apply to him. There's no way he didn't become human. And even even if for some reason they defeated all of it and all that blah, blah. No, he signed it and then he killed all of them. So it doesn't work anymore. And, We're no, good. literally. Well, but also like even if he didn't get the Shanshu prophecy, in my mind, I'm like, give him five years. Willow would find a way to make him human. Yeah. I know it. I literally know it. Her I powers make absolutely I no sense in this lore. I don't care if it's not written down anywhere. I don't like in my mind, I'm like, they for sure end up together. So I feel like I'm the worst person to ask because I know I'm a little deluded. Um... 
So I wish so much that I had recorded your response at the end of Angel because I have never seen Leah so angry. And she was like crying and angry. And I think I also was the one that showed you I Will Remember You for the first time. You hadn't seen it before and you were just like sobbing. And then we watched um, season five. What was it? The Girl in Question was the episode that Leah just like I and I told her, I was like, listen, I don't want you to get your hopes up. Buffy is not coming back in Angel. Like she won't be back. And Leah, I think, was still holding that hope a little bit. And I think her She's like, hopes maybe were Sarah's dashed. lying to me. <laughs> Leah has trust issues. Leah, you're muted. <laughs> she does this every Sorry. recording to see I also, so. okay, to be fair, <laughs> so I also mute myself because my stomach has been growling and you can hear it. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> it's all good. But, um, no. But what I was gonna say is I think one of the things that why I got so like emotionally worked up because I don't really cry. I mean, I cry. No, you don't. But I don't really cry about like movies, shows, fiction. Like I'm not like I'll get invested. (laughs) Leah, tell them the only two movies you've cried. Okay, well, the only two movies that I've cried in <laughs> at least are, not emotional. These are so out of pocket. (laughs) And How to Train Your Dragon, too. Hey. Um. Very actually, it wasn't even technically how to train dragon movie. It was how to train dragon short, and it was because it was a short after the third movie, and it was about toothless and hiccup finally meeting again after like ten years. I was like, oh, I was like, oh my gosh. Anyways, little side note about me, um, but I think why I got worked up was because like. It wasn't that I was expecting Buffy to be there. It was that there was like a whole episode where she like was there, but then like wasn't. And I just think that it just made me mad because I was like, she could have been here. She could like, you literally wrote her in there. Like she could have been here. And I think Angel just really put me through the ringer. Sarah also made us watch so much of it back to back to back to back. And (laughs) it literally, it's like emotional turmoil. No, it's emotional turmoil. She's like, we'll binge Angel. It's okay. And then we binge it all so freaking fast. And I was so mad at a lot of it. Yeah. And so I think I just like, I got to the ending of the show and I just was like, (laughs) are you serious? Like, I was like, I watched all of this for that, for like, Half the characters to die and for like freaking uh, – like nothing. There was like nothing. And for Gunn to survive. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? All the Gunn good characters died, Leah. Died. No, he doesn't. He's he's alive. Leah, Illyria says you have less than 10 minutes and he says yes, we'll make this 10 minutes count. He was, he, but he was alive. <laughs> he was alive in the last second. Yes, I didn't want him to be alive. He literally died. All right, all right, all right. Let's bring it back. I know we're like spoiling all of Angel. (laughs) Way off the beaten track. We still have so much more to talk about. Okay, so um, the moment at the end of Choices where Buffy and Angel are resting up against each other and talking about their future reminds me a ton of Forever when they're sitting next to each other at um behind a or I thought about that. Yeah, they're talking about it. I think that's specifically supposed to be a mirroring of those two scenes to kind of show that nothing has changed. A whole unspoken thing of why Angel can't stay. Um, but I still think it's interesting that she chooses him. And then the cookie dough speech. Um, yeah, and Leah kind of already answered that a little bit, but I think that it's interesting to note that at this point, the unspoken argument seems to be that Buffy is too young to know what she wants. But as the show progresses, it's interesting to see that what she wants doesn't change. She continues to want a normal life. 
Even though she recognizes that her calling is there and she embraces it fully, she still would prefer a normal life and she always chooses Angel. Oh, yes, yes, Teacher. Uh, Well, I also wanted to add a little bit more eloquently is that like – Well, rude. For yourself or for Sarah? No, no, for me. For me. (laughs) I was thinking for my previous point. (laughs) I figured Um, you meant that. No. Yeah, that sounds so bad. What I was trying to say is that the whole Kokita speech is actually a lot more plausible at the end of season seven because now there's all the Slayers. And so – yeah. Now it's like that speech actually holds weight because Buffy doesn't have to be the Slayer anymore. She can retire. And there's literally like hundreds more that can take up the mantle. Well, I think it's you important know? to note too that she gives the cookie dough speech before she comes up with the idea to make everybody else Slayers. So I'm like, would you still be giving the cookie dough speech if you already had that idea and everybody was Slayers, I feel like You know if like, this was modern times, out. immediately after she'd be texting like uh, Angel, she'd texting just be like, Angel. hey, my cookies are ready. <laughs> yeah. It was my a cookies. really hot oven. <laughs> yeah. Extremely good oven. Cooked so fast. <laughs> Spike's, Spike's glow helped cook them a little faster. <laughs> She's His like, glow? Remember, you know how you like. Oh, when he was dying. Yeah, yeah, he died, and she was like, "Cookies are baked." <laughs> oh, sorry. Anyway, okay. All right, moving on. Do you guys think that Angel and Buffy would have lasted on the show if the writers had decided to keep Angel on the show versus writing him off? Nope. Ooh. I feel like okay. I love television, I love movies, love TV. Uh, but especially in TV shows, if there's a character that stays the entirety of the show and there's supposed to be a love interest, for the except the only exception I can think of right now in my head, I'll probably think of more later, but in New Girl, Nick and Jess, they break up once and they're good friends and they're not toxic to each other the entirety of the time they're not together. One of the very rare situations where they're just good people and they care for each other when they're not together and then they end up together and it's just all good and dandy. But yeah. it's so rare, especially during that time in the 90s and 2000s, they just loved to make couples toxic when they were not together. And then they end up together and then they break up again. They end up together and they break up. I feel like they would make some bullcrap reason for Buffy and Angel to not be together and somehow ruin Angel's character a little bit. I think here's – I'll change my answer. I could see that going either one of two ways if Angel did stay on the show. It's either would be one where he stays on the show but they're not together because they can't be. So it's pretty much like season one through three. And it just turns into the Buffy and Angel show. Buffy is never able to grow on her own. She's never – has to stand on her own two feet because she always has Angel to fall back on. And I think this works for the first three seasons because first season, she's not really relying on Angel. Second season, halfway through, he was Angelus, so she had to stand on her own. And then the third season, they were kind of distant because, like, he's kind of phasing They're trying out not to be together, too. Right. And so each season, they found a way to make them independent. However, you can't do that for seven seasons. So I think it was just... It wouldn't be about Buffy anymore. It'd be about Buffy and Angel. And I love Buffy and Angel, but 
it's important to have the characters grow on their own. So I think that would have been bad. Or he stays on the show and they're not together and it's like Buffy does grow on her own, but then they would have to find like kind of what Tabby was saying. They'd have to find reasons to not have them together and to have them be more separate. And then they would kind of have to ruin their relationship a little bit because they wouldn't be able to have them together. So I feel like as painful it is, is to watch their story kind of play out. I feel like it made it a lot better for both the characters. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between what we think would happen organically with the characters versus what the writers want. And let's face it, there's not a single happy relationship on Buffy. So I don't have hopes that Buffy and Angel's relationship would have played out well. I mean, look how Tara and Willow ended up. Look how Oz and Willow ended up. Jenny and um, Giles, Anya and Xander. I feel like if they had stayed on, there's a potential for the writers to have written something incredibly toxic. Maybe Angel cheats or Buffy cheats, or so- they would have written something that would have made us hate them. But I, bro, feel like I could these- not handle it if Angel cheated. That would have been hard. So like. Uh, let's imagine these characters were real. I feel like in character, I feel like Buffy and Angel could have made it. But I think with the writers that they had writing it, I don't think they would have, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm separating them out too much, but I feel like having them separated and having Angel go off in his own show is what honestly made their relationship, like it elevated it, honestly. It's not necessarily like the two characters just not working out together. It's like there's like metaphors, there's lore stuff that gets in the way, you know, there's mystical stuff, whatever. But I feel like two tropes that TV shows tend to fall back on in relationships that can be very frustrating for a viewer. One of them being they start dating in their early seasons. They break up, date other people. And in the last episode, they end up together again. Right, Um, right. That that's very frustrating to watch. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like just we want them happy and then not so much back and forth. And it's like it, there's so much anticipation. There's that. But then there's also the the we don't want to express that we like each other, build up tension. And but you could tell that they don't know how to write them being happy together. So they just like make it so that they're just never really together again until the very last episode. Um Yep. Which I like that they didn't do that with Buffy and Angel, but then it's like if he were to stick around, what would that really look like? Right. But I like the fact that they kind of had them together but not really together for three seasons, but not yeah. in a toxic way, but because of things genuinely External. got in the way, yeah. Um, yeah. which is very rare to find in TV shows. And I think – Honestly, that's why they've had such a, a cultural impact and so many people are still hung up over them in oh, – like here we are 25 plus years later. Is it 25? Yeah, 25 years later because their external forces that kept them apart make sense. Nobody's out there going, oh my gosh, they could have just been together if. You know what I mean? We understand why. Um, okay, so that leads me into my next question. Do you guys think Angel could have or would have had a fulfilling journey on Buffy and it would have been fleshed out as much as it needed to or deserved. Say he didn't nope. go off on his own show. Nope. I think that they couldn't. Realistically, I'm not even yeah. faulting the, the writers. I just right. – they, they didn't – they couldn't have the time to dedicate to what Angel needed. He needed his yeah. own show. He yeah. had potential in Buffy and really loved what we got from him and Buffy. But 
he didn't really become I mean he was he was like very he was poured into a lot in Buffy but I feel like a lot of it was like oh my gosh there's this aspect of him that's so awesome I hope we see more of it and then they had so many other storylines um which is fair like there's a lot of other characters and they did a lot with Buffy's character specifically I'm thinking of season three um because you see him talking to Faith and you're like, wow, that's such a cool like mentorship, like um like uh therapist side of Angel. Cause we've really, we've really seen the champion side of him. So I was like, that's really awesome. But then it's like they really focused on Buffy in season three, which I really, mm-hmm. really appreciated. Um yeah. so I'm glad they gave him his own show because he has to find his own reasons for fighting. And they really, really poured into that. In retrospect, I'm happy he didn't stay on Buffy. It's weird to say that. I wish we I got know, right? I wish we got more crossovers between them and I wish yes. we got more of a definitive answer at the end of Buffy in general. Yeah. I agree. I think it would have run into the problem of Angel possibly overshadowing Buffy um, because they would have had to devote so much of a storyline to him and ultimately it's Buffy's show. He outgrew it, you know? So All right, so a couple little trivia things or just like notes. Um, It's interesting that Angel says to Buffy that she deserves someone who can bring her into the light, and that's contrasted with Spike talking about how she should be in the shadows with him. Um, And I think that's really important to note because I feel like those two things very much define uh, how those relationships ended up being. Um, Dude, I just thought about too the fact that like – if Angel was on the show, we wouldn't have gotten such like a good love interest in Riley. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That was so sincerely done. I was very confused <laughs> for a second. All right. I I don't want to say too much about my opinion on Riley because I think we're going to talk about him pretty much for the next season and a half. Yeah, there's but no I think lot he of time. Served, he served his purpose. You know what I mean? I know. Both I just take any opportunity to bash Riley You do. You're ridiculous. <laughs> Shut up, Leah. <laughs> Abby also said that she liked the fact that um, Angel allowed, like, growth for other characters like Faith, which I feel like is such a good point. Yes. Like, not only yes. Faith, but Wesley. Wesley would have been nothing yes. if Angel's show wasn't, yes. like, created. Also, hi, tech person, a.k.a. Sarah's husband. Oh, is tech person in? Hi, Andrew. <laughs> All right. So a couple of little things that I think are kind of neat that they carried over into Angel the Series. Um, when Anya talks about you've never seen a true demon, um, I think about Angel season two and through the looking glass when he becomes pure demon and you see his face. Um, I think it's a different dimension, which is why he's not massively large. But then uh, the mayor comes in and reads the chapter of the book that they're reading, says the beast will walk upon the earth and darkness will follow. The several races of man will be as one in their terror and destruction. The beast will walk upon the earth, and then the darkness is possible foreshadowing of Jasmine and evil Cordelia because you had the darkness that covered everything, and you had the beast that came and walked on the earth, and that's also you know when faith comes in, which I think is really, really interesting how that all kind of ties in together. All right, so we're done talking about Buffy and Angel. Let's talk a little bit about Willow. So I 
am curious about your guys' thoughts on Willow this season because for me personally, the first half of the season was really rough for me. I felt like she was not great. I really struggled with her. Um, and I feel like the second half of the season, I feel I feel like that's the best version of Willow. We see a super confident girl after especially Doppelganglin. She's incredibly supportive of Buffy. She is very comfortable with her relationship with Oz. They seem to be on good ground um, leading into season four. But how do you guys feel like Buffy and Willow's relationship changes throughout the show? Because I feel like we've hit the peak of their relationship. I was just about to say that I feel like a lot of people, when they think of Willow, view her as seasons three and four Willow. Like very mm. sweet, tempered. Season five too. I like dabbling. Season five Willow. I'm not saying I don't like Willow. I'm just saying like this is how people refer to Willow. Even in like seasons five and six when she's starting to really kind of get into like dabbling in magic, everyone's like, it's just Willow. Because they view her as like, seasons three and four willow where it's just like a sweet little puppy um i love willow uh i love her as a character i do however think she does a lot of crappy things and i also do think yeah sorry um i (laughs) as a friend to buffy she just sometimes loses it a little bit i feel like she's really strong in the beginning and then Later on throughout the show, their friendship kind of gets lost. Yeah, I wrestle with knowing how much of it is that because of the writers and the stuff that was happening behind the scenes. Leah, you okay? (laughs) Did you swallow some water down the wrong hatch there? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You guys, this is all stuff that happens in our normal tapings that I like cut out so you have no idea, but this is as raw and unfiltered. (laughs) No, it's so hard because I think a lot of times what the writers like put into the show over time is often influenced by the actors and like what's going on in their um in their relationships. And so it's hard sometimes to watch the later end of the series and not see a rift or not, maybe not a rift, but Buffy and Will are not very close. I feel like Buffy and Xander are very close by the end of the series. I yeah, think oddly enough. Some, we have some really great moments between yeah. them, but the ones with Willow just after I feel like um, – I forget that episode in season seven where they sit on Willow's bed and Buffy the shares third the episode. power. I feel like that is the last in like tender friendship moment we have between the two of them before like we just don't really have that kind of moment anymore. And I miss it. When I see moments like this in season three, I miss I miss their friendship. I just – I so wish it was Buffy instead of Kennedy in that episode where she's mourning Tara. That would have been the perfect like Buffy, yes. moment for Agreed. them, like end off like it's just a friend being there to like mourn her past relationship, not her current girlfriend while she's sobbing about like Tara. Like it's just kind of weird to me. I'm like, this that is, is odd. Weird. You shouldn't be here. I feel like most everybody doesn't like that episode. I don't feel like I've come across one person that's like, yes, I loved that. I felt like no, that you was- know what? I disagree. I love that episode. I just hate that she's there. Like. I love that episode. I just hate that Kennedy's there. Like, I love that episode. I think it's really good for Willow. I just think that it would have been so much better if Kennedy wasn't there. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's just not very well done. And I feel like we needed to see Willow bonding with someone we've seen on screen instead of someone new. But yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Anya. Um. 
So I really love – obviously, we're going to flesh her out more as as we go in further into the season um, or into the series. Anya telling Xander, hey, come with me. And he says, I got friends on the line. And she says, so. And he says, that humanity thing still a work in progress, isn't it? Um, and she says, are you really going to be that much help to them? You'll probably just get in the way. And then I hope you die. So I looked up her speech in End of Days where she's talking to Andrew of all people. And she's talking about how she's going to stick out this apocalypse. And um, Andrew asks her, well, what's the difference between this apocalypse versus the one in season three? And Anya says, well, I guess I was kind of new to being around humans before, but now I've seen a lot more, gotten to know people, seen what they're capable of. I guess I just realized how amazingly screwed up they all are. I mean, really, really screwed up in a monumental fashion. Oh, and they have no purpose that unites them, so they just drift around blundering through life until they die, which they know is coming Yet every single one of them is surprised when it happens to them. They're incapable of thinking about what they want beyond the moment they kill each other, which is clearly insane. And yet here's the thing. When it's something that really matters, they fight. I mean, they're lame morons for fighting, yet they do. They never quit. And so I guess I will keep fighting too. And then he kind of teases her, you love humans. She's like, I do not. If you tell them or you tell anyone, I will kill you. Um, And then – Andrew is inspired by that and says, I think I'd like to finish out as one of those lame humans trying to do what's right. And I see so many people criticize Anya's death as too fast and a callous end to a great character. But given the growth that we see in just those two speeches and even all the the stuff that happens in between, I think there's some missteps with her character arc, but there it is an arc and it is a good one. I think her ending was the best ending for her character. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you guys think that it was a fitting death and a fitting end for her arc? They did her a disservice in a couple of ways. I like what they did leaving her at the altar. That sounds so brutal. I mean, it's really sad for her and it's like – that's really, it's really it's sad very, for her. <laughs> but I feel like so much of her character was about men. It's got to suck to be on yeah, but. No, I just mean like <laughs> had to so much of her character was about like men and chasing after that. And then Xander came along and it was like the only reason she was with the Scoobies and helping people was because she loved Xander. So she just like had never really stood on her own two feet and made a decision for herself and so I love that they kind of left her high and dry and was like, okay, who are you now that you don't have someone? Um, and she stumbles a lot, which doesn't bother me. I think it's fair and I think it totally makes sense. Um, my gripe is that in season seven, they didn't give her anything back. She made that terrible decision to kill all those guys and then kind of tried to fix it and then, you know, Got her friend killed, all that stuff, which I don't blame her for because she was trying to help. And then after that, it's just kind of like she just stays in the background being bitter. Um, That's what makes me mad is that they didn't go anywhere with their character in season seven. But I think the way that she died was perfect because she finally made that decision to make a decision for herself that wasn't based upon a guy or her own, like, you know wanting to like survive it was purely for people and it was purely for the greater good and i think that that is the best way for her to die because it comes full circle because ultimately the reason why she became a vengeance demon was because she was so focused on her own pain that she couldn't like see anyone else's and so for her to die in a way that 
is sacrificing for a man is perfect. Yeah, of all people too. I love the comparisons between, and we talked about this in our earshot spoiler, um, but Jonathan's speech to Andrew before he dies is very, very similar to Anya's speech to Andrew before she dies in the sense that like, I'm committing my life and even my death to helping people and because that's what really matters. And I think that that is so beautiful given – and I, a lot of people really wrestle with the fact that Andrew didn't die and that Anya did. Um, but I really think there's something very beautiful and poetic that Andrew didn't die and that we even see him later on in Angel, the series, um, actually like making a difference and developing confidence and doing something worthwhile. So I don't know. I just – I think it – I think there is some – like missteps and the way that they got there was like a little bit choppy, but when they finally did get there, it's just, it's beautiful. Um, okay. So then another person that I was talking about is Wesley. So Wesley, I is probably the single most character that I am thrilled to talk about, um, in Angel. And I really, really love how he's even given, this is so sad. He's even given more of a backstory and an arc and character development than Cordelia is just in like the six or seven episodes that he shows up in um, in season three of Buffy. But um, it's really interesting in Choices when he has this whole conversation with Buffy about the box of Gavrock and, and rescuing Willow. Um, he says it's not the council's policy – or sorry, this is in um, – graduation day part one when uh, Buffy's trying to save Angel. He says, it's not council policy to cure vampires. Giles says, well, did you explain these for a special? Wesley interrupts and says, not under any circumstance. And yes, I did try to convince them. Buffy says, try again. He says, we're talking about laws have existed longer than civilization. She says, I'm talking about watching my lover die. I have no clue what you're talking about and I do not care. And this is so fascinating to me because in A Hole in the World, Wesley has to watch his lover die um, because ultimately it comes down to this. We talked a lot about utilitarianism versus Kantianism and this whole idea of Fred having to die because if she, if they decide to try to save her, they're talking about tons and tons of human lives that would die for the sake of her living. And I think that's so interesting because that, that is and completely in line with his worldview up to this point. I mean, look at him rescuing or kidnapping Connor, which is objectively an awful thing to do, but doing it to save the life of Connor, of Angel, and possibly, you know, tons and tons of people, um, and then having to watch Fred die in order to save tons of people. And I just – and then I don't know if you guys remember, but Wesley seeks Giles's help to save Fred. Um, they wanted to see if they can enlist Willow. Um, but and the council's no longer there and you have Giles refusing because he no longer trusts him. And it just, it's very weird. It like when I was watching the scene, I was reminding me of all that stuff that happens in season five. And I was like, Oh my goodness of all the characters in the Buffy verse. I really believe Wesley is possibly the most tragic. I was just going to say, like, I think it's interesting that he's so by the book and so by the rules. And then by the end of the show, he's so by his own rules. Um, and I thought that was a cool way to take his character. I mean, mm, honestly, Wesley reminds me so much of Giles. Their characters make a lot of sense. And not just because they're watchers, but I think it's because 
they both started out as rule followers and then they broke away and then kind of made their own rules to follow by. Yeah. That's that's a really good way of putting it, Leah. Go ahead, Tabs. I feel like Wesley is one of those characters that you hold in your hand and you're just like very proud of in the writers. <laughs> and you're like, yay, one that makes sense. Um, <laughs> one that has like a full-fledged story arc and great acting and um, their psyche makes sense and is portrayed very well, but not in a down-your-throat sort of way. Um and that's just a huge testament to Alexis Denisov because um, he plays his character so subtly and so brilliantly and um, in a way that feels like an actual person because I we've I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast, but one of my least favorite things when watching television or shows or movies, and I feel like more modern stuff tends to do this, is they try to show a feeling or what someone's thinking or their drive by just having so many other things to explain it rather than just having the actor do all the work. And I really feel like a lot of stuff that Wesley believes and his fear with lack of control and just the fear in general, like is really seen in his acting rather than, uh, external circumstances. I mean, that kind of helps drive home what we've been predicting in his character. But even if we disagree with whatever Wesley does, we get it. Yeah, totally agree. All right. We have Alexandra with us and I'm so excited to hear what you have to say because you are one of my favorite people to like read your Tumblr posts and every time you comment, you have such great things to say. So welcome, Alexandra. Hi. Can you guys hear me? We can't. Give us your wisdom. Hello. <laughs> um, no pressure or anything. What a wow, what an intro that was. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um well I couldn't figure out how to work this for a while. Um so I've been texting Leia, like freaking out. Um oh my god, Sorry. there she is. I know you're both here. This is great. Tell us, tell us what you guys are thinking about. Um, well, I wanted to talk a we little bit you, about Anya, if that's okay. Because um, yeah, I loved what Leah. There's a Leia and then a Leah. Right? I know. So okay. confusing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say that I absolutely agree with everything you said. Um, regarding Anya, my dog's namesake, by the way. Um, and oh, I actually. I have a blog and a lot of people come to me frustrated about Anya and what happens to her. And I've always disagreed and people kind of boo me because like I feel her death was earned, if that makes sense. Um, They had to kill off someone and she had been a vengeance demon for over a thousand years. And she finally it's tragic because she finally like understood what life was about and like why it's worth living but the thing about her agency and making a choice for like the first time not regarding like herself in that way like what you said about Xander like it was just so well put oh my god I was like cheering you on over here but you couldn't hear me oh my goodness Um, but it was just so I I and people get upset because they're like it just happens so quickly but it's like it's the finale she's a supporting character like what do you want like five minutes of people sobbing about her death but also she was really really mean to Buffy 
in season seven, like, which is, like, mm-hmm. my main issue with her character. Really cruel, really cold. So that was that's another reason why I'm not, like, really upset that she dies. Because if you fuck with Buffy, I'm sorry for the F-bomb. You, um, You're good. <laughs> you mess with me. So when she mm-hmm. died, I was like, okay, yeah. And I don't know. I thought it made complete sense. And I was happy with it. I mean, obviously, you don't want people to die, but they're in a war. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think another important thing, too, is that the way that she dies, I don't even feel like is disrespectful. Like, it's she dies protecting Andrew. And, like, yes, it's quick, but it's also, like, there was a whole, like, the whole first half of the episode is everyone acknowledging that they can die. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's like and that's it's how not war that is. Any, people die yeah, really it's fast. Not that any death mm-hmm. would have been surprising there. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like it was honorable to her character. I think and she goes out with that sword, like that great bunny moment that she had, like very true to her character. Like she got that moment, and there's a lot of characters, especially in season seven. This is the final episode. She isn't a character that we initially started the show with, and she got a moment to shine. You can't say that for everybody else. You just can't. Like, so I thought it was really well done. And ah, people hate me for saying that, that I'm not like crying over her. I do like her better than Cordelia. I will say I have my issues with Cordelia. And I love what you guys say about Cordelia because there's another podcast that I listen to. And they are very, 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 very pro Cordelia. And sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, But yeah, so I mean, really, really great moment for Anya for her character, just everything. It's full circle. Love it. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I too have found a lot of the fan discord is very much of, um, well, that was an anti-feminist moment. That was just Joss killing off another character and stuff. And um, and if I do remember correctly, I think Emma Caulfield even requested to be killed off because she didn't want to come back. And I think she's come back and said that she doesn't like how she was killed off. But at the same time, I feel like it was also a very realistic portrayal of how a war situation would be. There is not going to be, I think, I think of Marvel, love Marvel, but all every death that happens is going to be like there's this big moment. Beautiful and romantic. And and, and honestly, as fans, like we do need that most of the time. But Mm -hmm. with Anya, it just felt so realistic because it was literally like, boom, we see these potentials dying. Boom, we see all this stuff. Boom, Anya dies and then flip over to something else. And it, it, what it does is it creates this sense of realism of like how it would actually happen in real life of like, it feels like things are spiraling out of control, which ultimately leads to Buffy getting stabbed. Well, it feels very uh, Game of Thrones-ish. Where it's just kind of like death is inevitable in a lot of situations. And unfortunately, it's you get through the battle and you mourn after. Right. And it adds a sense of gravitas to the situation, which is very much needed. Um, And I think that Xander's response at the end with Andrew, which I've also heard a lot of people really are frustrated with. It wasn't a, oh, ho-hum, she's dead. It was more of like, we all recognized that someone was probably going to die, that we were probably going to die. But this sense of like... That's my girl. Like, she did what was right in the end. Like, there will be time to mourn later, probably off off screen and stuff like that. It was just like everybody's in shock. It just felt very real. So, yeah, I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree. She did want to leave. Yes. um, I read that in the book. Okay. The new book. Yeah. She wanted to be killed off. So, he actually honored her wishes, which is crazy because he's a dick. 
Like he only listens, <laughs> <laughs> he only listens to Allison Hannigan and apparently Emma Caulfield. So I mean, there you go. Well, I've heard him him say like he really liked Emma Caulfield. Like I've heard him talk about like James Marsters. I think there's like that quote where he talks about how like Joss came up to him and was like, "You're funny, James. You're like Emma Caulfield funny or something." So like Joss thought Emma was like really funny, but she she's yeah. very funny. She had a interesting. Um, role. Like, I feel like Cordelia leaving opened up this space for her, but um, mm. Cordelia, although I was um, surprised to hear that people didn't like her character that much as when it was airing, I guess. She was worried about people hating she's her. She's so really? popular now. Yeah, she's Cordelia. so popular now. Oh, Cordelia. I thought you meant Anya. I was like, oh, oh no, no. People, that. I'm pretty sure people liked Anya like right away. Anya. Gotcha. But it was a lot though because there's her like becoming more of an important character. There's Spike coming back at once. There's Oz leaving. There's Tara being So much change. Riley. Like it was just like boom, 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 boom. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, she and a lot of people think she's um, coded. Uh, what's Asperger's coded or autism coded? Yes, um, I've seen that. Yeah, oh. she takes things so literally. Yeah, yeah and not really ability mm-hmm, knowing how to yeah. read human, ki- you know, cues. interactions interpersonally mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That's yeah. interesting. I never, I never heard. It makes that. a lot of sense actually when you yeah. think about it. Um, but also, I just wanted to say, Sarah, what you said about. Um, it feeling like more real with her death and how like quick it was. That's such a great point too. Um, I just think it just felt really real. And just the way you said it, I was like, it absolutely. I just feel like Chosen is slept on a bit as a finale and the whole season yes. in general. Um, I have my issues. Okay, I do. But 100%. It's, it yes. does what it wants to do I think very well it's just there's some missteps I agree. but I agree I agree yeah no totally and you and I've talked about that I'm excited when we get to season seven we'll have to bring you on because I feel like I my goal honestly like this is kind of like the thing that I'm really hoping to do with the podcast is I'm hoping to redeem season seven for the fandom yes for those of us for those of us that are like so frustrated with season seven for those of us that feel like it didn't meet everything that we wanted for those like maybe spuffies who are even (laughs) frustrated with that. Like I feel like everyone's kind of frustrated with season seven and I think that there are some nuggets. I think there's some really good stuff to focus on. I think we're just focusing on the the first few episodes are fire and then it's like the middle where I'm like, it, it drags a bit in the middle with like yeah. the killer and me and mm-hmm. first date That's and get it done. <laughs> Those three episodes, yeah. not great, especially like back right. to back to back. Um, it does it make me feel a little bit happy. The fact that the later seasons are so hated on because they are the spuffy seasons. Um, <laughs> and I have a lot of issues with that. Although I will say for spuffy, it is definitely an interesting dynamic to dissect and discuss and yeah. um, it's just that's the only time I'm willing to talk about Spuffy. Yeah, like it's so fascinating, and I feel like it's yeah. it's important to talk about. Um, but the issue is that people don't want to go there because they're afraid of the fandom and getting backlash with a I will not name the podcast, but just like completely glossing over, romanticizing, throwing around the terms like mutually abusive, sweetie, that's not a thing. Like I'm, it's very messed up the approach that they took. And that's why I'm very happy 
that we have your podcast and Prophecy Girls who are just not backing down and they're like, hey, this is how it is. We can appreciate things and characters while admitting that what they're doing is wrong and messed up. And especially if they're a demon, like they're literally a demon. Can we talk about this for a second? Like we're allowed to criticize soulless creatures. Like, right. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. just because he has chiseled cheekbones and is super charismatic doesn't mean he gets a free. He's pass. hilarious. Well, also, yeah, like, but it's I, I do feel like it's important too to view every character with the lens of they could do wrong. <laughs> um, and like like you said, like Alexandra, like Cordelia, love her, love her. Uh, but she does some things that really piss me off she's in the bully. first three seasons. She is a boy. She, she has is. Her moments. No, she's, she is. She can be really cruel. But she can be yeah. really cruel. But she's has a lot of other good qualities too. But totally. I think, Absolutely. I think we don't know how to exist in this space where we can like a character but criticize them. Totally. Um, and you see that the most with Cordelia and you see that the most with Spike. Like those two characters, people get very, very... They're very protective of, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to hear anything you say. And let me just say, of course, Cordelia and Spike, very different. Um, It's Mm -hmm. just that, you know, they're not perfect and they can be mean. Well, one of them is literally, you know, soulless killer, but sorry, I dropped my headphone. Um, But (laughs) yeah, so it's just, you just got to be willing to have these conversations. And sometimes people are going to be mean about it, but you're doing, you know, good work. So. Yeah. God bless. Yeah. Godspeed. Thanks. And Buffy, right, we trust. Before you, you leave, before you leave, Alexandra, <laughs> this kind of actually like segues into my next point. And I'm curious about your thoughts. If you don't want to answer, you don't have to. Sure. Okay. Um, but okay, so speaking of season seven, my next the next character that I want to talk about is is Buffy. Mm. Um, so I want to ask you guys, do you guys so I had asked Tabby and Leah this um in a spoiler section like a couple episodes back. I don't remember. Um when I talked about how Buffy has uh, remain pretty firm on not killing humans throughout the series. And we talk about Kantian versus utilitarian and all that stuff. Um, I want to ask you guys, now that we can talk about spoiler-wise, do you think that Buffy remains consistent throughout the series? And I'm thinking specifically of lies my parents told me when she tells uh, she tells Wood, if you try to attack or kill Spike, I'm going to let him kill you. Do you feel like that is a consistent Buffy moment? Yes. Um, Sorry to jump on that. Um, I feel like she kind of, and the show in general, um, kind of moves toward this moral ambiguity. And I think with season seven specifically, we're constantly being told, and it can be heavy handed at times, that this is so different. This is much bigger than anything they've ever faced because they're not just facing evil, they're facing the reason evil exists. And she is literally, you know, a general in a war at this point, something that has not happened to her before in this way. And Spike, she's looking at it as Spike is an asset to my army. Um, I do not have time for vendettas. She doesn't. And I, you can look at it like, oh my God, it's just because of Spuffy and Spike and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that's how the scene reads to me. Um, but I will say that the moment with Giles very much reads into, oh my God, you killed the guy that you tried to kill the guy that I like. I will say that. But I think Buffy, the headspace that she's in would absolutely 
say that because it makes sense. Like you're trying to save more lives. So it makes sense. Am I happy about it? No, but it definitely makes sense. And it definitely seems like where, like where her character was always headed. And it's very similar to Angel in that way and the tone of Angel as a show. Mm. Well, but also on another level is like on top of that, because I totally agree. Um, she is in the middle of the war and Buffy doesn't have time to save everyone. Buffy doesn't have the time to go around and protect every petty fight that's breaking out and defend every person. Like she has to weigh, okay, what is actually like worth my time right now? And if, you know, Wood and Spike are just being petty and fighting all the time. She doesn't have the time to like sit there big. Okay, guys, let's talk this out. Let's figure this out. Like she's, she's saying like, figure it out or I won't be there next time. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that really can be talked out. He literally killed his mom. Like, it's not like they can ever be friends or like anything more than just tolerate each other and be allies. Like, and I think Buffy acknowledges that. And she even says, you know, I lost my mom too. Like, Like, she's trying to connect with him and say, and, you know, she's compassionate. She's like, I understand, like, your loss. And I understand, she literally says, I understand what you tried to do. Like, she understands where he's coming from. Um, But I will say that the episode frames Spike as some kind of hero by deciding not to kill him, which is icky. That's my biggest gripe with that episode, yes. It's... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of issues with that, and that's one of the main issues I have with season seven is Spike, his involvement in the narrative, and how that uh, affects Buffy's own story. But um, I will say that that scene felt in character and makes sense to me. And um, ultimately, you know, it is what it is, and I get it. Even if I'm not crazy about it, I get it. No, I love how you put that because that's something that I've kind of been going back and forth with. And I think that we talked about in Choices where we were like, why did Buffy decide to not try and trade or like why did she decide to trade the box immediately for Willow and not pursue other avenues? And I feel like season seven Buffy would have actually taken a step back and been like, let's look at for some, another another thing to do. And so I think that's growth. Even though we all feel uncomfortable in that moment of watching Buffy tell Wood that, she's doing what's best for the potentials for really the rest of the world. And so I think that that's that's a topic and that's a whole issue that I feel like a lot of media is unwilling to tackle because it does kind of make their character look a little gray, but that's life, right? In real life, that's exactly how we would be wrestling through things. Like we want to see our characters always make these like, or they always make these decisions where they're not stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I think that's, that's just not realistic. So uh, yeah. Um, I, totally I do want to say one thing and then I'll shut up and leave you guys alone. Um, I love what you said, again, um, especially because you see her kind of regress a bit um, in the sense that she feels like she cannot make that decision to sacrifice Dawn um, because she's already lost so much at that point. She's very, like, emotionally vulnerable, but she evolves again. And um, it's – sorry, that's my dog – I just feel like it just feels very natural. Like she is able to make those decisions at first with killing Angel, but then she starts to lose a lot and loses, you know, her drive and her ability to make sacrifices because she's already sacrificed so much. 
But by the time she gets to season seven, it's like she's sees the full picture. She can make those decisions, those hard decisions that she maybe wasn't able to make because she lost her mom and all those other things that happen in season five. So very full circle, like just a really genuine uh, character journey that she has. Yeah, love it. I love hearing somebody else like try like stand up for Buffy in season seven because sometimes it feels like I'm like the only one. I know, stick around. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yes. So refreshing. Come back. We loved your hot takes. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Bye. Seriously, bye. All right, Leia, what do you got, girl? No, yeah, I would love I just I have a few thoughts about the angel questions that you ask, um, specifically, when you were talking about the similarities between or differences between the prom and I will remember you and just like, this idea that angel is making the decision for Buffy, um, or taking the choice away from her. You know, I think that in both of these instances, he's definitely not taking a choice away from her because the decisions he's making involve him like a hundred percent involve him as well so it's not like he is making a decision that's only going to affect Buffy it's going to affect him equally um I think in I will remember you it affects him even more than her though because it's like this is his body that he's choosing to alter and not even alter. It's just events that will never, like he's turning back time so that the events never occurred. He's not messing with anybody's memories. He's not changing, you know, you know, yeah, not, not messing with anyone's memories. He's basically just, it's his body and it's his choice to make whether he wants to be human or not. And in the circumstance, he was put on the spot. That was the only choice he could make, and he made the choice, and Buffy understood, because you also have to kind of look at it on, like, a bigger picture. This is Angel's show. That episode is sh- supposed to, like, showcase um, – it was, like, a test for him, almost, where it was, like, is he really a hero? Is he able to make these hard choices? If you dangle what he wants in front of him and then ask ask him to give it up, is he going to do it for the greater good? And – That's what makes Angel a hero is like decisions like this, decisions that Buffy would make as well. So it's like, again, two parties in a relationship. Yes, the decisions affect her, but he's not taking away her choice because it's also equally his choice. So I don't agree with this criticism whatsoever. Um, And that's all I got to (laughs) say. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's something that like, I think people and critics of that, particular moment and I will remember you forget is that for Angel, he's the one that has to bear the burden of remembering. He's the one that has to deal with the consequences of being a vampire versus being a human. So Mm -hmm. ultimately, I really do see this as his choice to make, not something that like, I think that when it comes down to whether they have a relationship or not, and I said this earlier, I think that whether or not they have a relationship or not is like, that should be something that maybe they both decide, but like that they do have that conversation. And I think a lot of people, too, are viewing it from Buffy's point of view because they want Buffy to be happy. And I get that. But, like, Angel, like you said, Leia, like, he should have a choice in that as well. And it's not just, oh, well, Buffy's not going to be happy, so he shouldn't do that. Like, he should have a choice when you break up with someone. Exactly. You know, getting broken up with, it's not fun, but it happens. And Buffy came out stronger Mm -hmm. in the end. You know what I mean? So it's just another trauma she had to deal with. 
But at the end of the day, it had to happen. Um, and so Tabby and Leah emphatically, emphatically agree with me that if Angel had stayed on the show, that him and Buffy would not have lasted. What do you guys think about that? Amen. They would have torn my you sweet little. They, they would not have lasted. They would have. They would have yeah. destroyed Angel. They would have destroyed him as a person. Yeah. I think it could have gone. It would have gone one of two ways. Either he would have stayed dead at the end of Becoming um, and never came back. Or he would have stuck around and they would have done a lot of things to keep them apart. A lot of things to like destroy the relationship. So I think just like not from – I think that the characters together, if it wasn't a TV show and there didn't have to be drama and craziness – I think that they could have, they're compatible, they could have lasted, but I feel like in order to make it interesting for a TV show, there would have been obstacles put in their way. But I think it would have gotten old after a while, you know what I mean? Like, constantly seeing them get back together, break up, get back together, break up, and it'd be like, okay. Because how do you, like, you know a seven season run of a TV show with one love interest for the main character. It's just like unheard of. I feel like it would have been a cool thing to like do for the first time, you know, have one love interest for the like protagonist that lasts the entire run of the show. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like that, that wasn't like that wasn't done at the time. It wouldn't have been done. They would have definitely like Angel would have died at some point, I think. Or gone off the deep end, or they would have—they like, would have done something where he the ties right. They yeah. would have had him do something where it was like Buffy would have never forgiven him, like had him unforgivable. Cr- yeah, he would have had like yeah. kill Don mm-hmm. per se, or do something. Oh my god, <laughs> do something. <laughs> do something. Oh my god. <laughs> he would have been like Buffy. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not letting you jump. I gotta kill her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's over here like judging wesley for kidnapping his son yeah. and he's over there killing you know killing little buffy's metaphorical daughter oh yeah. do not right. do not open that can of worms uh-uh yeah i agree and i think i think just what we know from what the writers have said about how they're like oh like you can't have a happy relationship because then that's when the show starts to go downhill i think they truly do not think that you can have a long running, like solid relationship. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be something. And also what we know of Joss Whedon, even the writers, like yeah. they really struggle. They do, they do trauma. They do um the human uh human pain really well. But what they don't do really well is showing healing. Mm, yeah. yeah. And showing um like restoration and forgiveness and all that. And so I think that it it like I we all know they would have done something with Angel and Buffy's storyline. I think that's what makes so, Buffy and Angel sure. so great. You know what I mean? Like because it's kind of yes. open ended at the end, towards the end. Yeah. And yeah. I think to be to be quite honest, I think sending Angel off on his own journey was actually a service to that relationship. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't yes. because I feel like and you know, not to bash on Spike because I don't like doing. We'll have that plenty at all, of time to talk but... about it. <laughs> um, but just to you know, had Angel stuck around, his whole whole world would have continued to revolve around mm-hmm. Buffy, and he wouldn't have grown as a person. Exactly. Just yep. kind of like Spike. Spike's only motivation and purpose in the show is Buffy. He does yep. everything for Buffy. There's no, 
there's no depth to it other than that. Whereas with Angel, he goes off, he finds his own purpose, he makes his own friends, mm-hmm. he gets his own family. He learns things on his own separate from her. But I believe that all of these things ultimately, you know, by the end of the series with that open ending, I can see them getting back together eventually with all of the new things mm-hmm. that they've learned. Um, she gets closer to like him in terms of like emotionally, she gets a little bit darker. She can, she's able to understand that side of him a little bit better. He's able to understand her humanity a little bit yes. better because he's developed his own humanity. Exactly. Because before it was just Buffy was his tie to humanity, but at the end of the show, he's got, you know, different ties to humanity right. Cordelia, Wesley, Doyle, Fred, you know. Well, if you think about it, too, like if he hadn't, uh, you know, listened to Whistler and got involved with Buffy, he would still be like hanging out like a little sewer rat. You know what I mean? He wouldn't have been able to have, you know, I don't know. This I wouldn't say mm-hmm. the skills to, you know, start his own investigation, whatever. The but motivation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's what I'm it saying. It was the motivation. Right. She was a good motivator yeah. for him. And I don't know. Like, I, I agree. I think in the end, then eventually they would have found their way back to each other. Like you said, I think they would have eventually. All right. So, Leah, you had mentioned wanting to talk about Wesley a little bit. Yeah. The first thought that comes into my mind with, like, every interaction between Wesley and Angel is I just think about how close they become and how hard yeah. Wesley goes for Angel. Um, I especially think about, you know, in this instance, Wesley wasn't willing to do, wasn't willing to go the extra mile to make sure that Angel lived. And then by the end of Angel, the series, Wesley dies for Angel's cause. And it's just, yeah, that, that friendship was just beautiful. And it's really funny watching them meet for the first time and just Wesley, just Wesley (laughs) changing over the course of the series. And um, I think it's a testament to like, how amazing Angel is because you see Wesley come back into like Angel the series and we'll talk about it like on our podcast but um, you really see him like lean on Angel and Wesley is purposeless at that point when he enters Angel the series and then he he just it's just crazy to see how much he ends up trusting Angel and believing in him and just kind of understanding him in a way that no one else does and then ultimately dying will willingly dying for this cause that angel has backed for you know five years of his own show it's like just like a beautiful like trajectory of the character um yeah i love wesley i cannot wait to talk about wesley i know me either he's like mm-hmm. probably my favorite character on angel besides angel himself you see i hated well, him yeah. on buffy like i could not stand him and then when right. i started watching angel right. i was like oh my gosh like i started i was developing a little crush like i like wesley like i can honestly say i like him he has a really good eye. yeah yeah and i think I think it could have been really easy to make Wesley like a super boring character where he's just kind of, you know, the bumbling fool that just follows Angel around and he's a sidekick. But I like that, you know, he makes big mistakes. He makes huge mistakes. But that's what like makes him, I think, really interesting. And some people are willing to forgive what he does. Some people are not. Um, But that's how every character in the Buffyverse is really there's not one perfect character. So 
Yeah, Wesley is incredibly flawed, but all of his motivations, you understand where he's coming from, which Mm -hmm. makes him very interesting. Okay, so my last question was, do you guys think that Buffy remains consistent throughout the series? And I mean specifically in her desire not to kill humans. I think that her moral code remains consistent throughout where she's, you know, Buffy's always the one that says, you know, it's not our job to pass judgment on humans. It's not our job to kill humans. Um, We deal with the demon world and there's a different world for the humans to, you know, have their consequences. Um, But I do think that as the show progresses, the... The situations that she finds herself in start to kind of make her question her moral code, but I feel like she always comes back to it. So what I'm trying to say is, in Lies My Parents Told Me, for example, I understand what Buffy is saying in the sense that, you know, there's a bigger issue at hand and um, this vendetta is kind of needs to be put on the back burner because it's we don't need to be doing this right now so i get it because that's buffy's whole thing in season seven is kind of like we were fighting a war you know spike is a warrior i need him in this but that whole episode even just her saying that she would let dawn die like i i just i don't know if she would I know that she's saying it and I understand why she's saying it and it makes sense for where her character is at that time, but I could never see Buffy sitting back and, for example, allowing Spike to kill Robin. She may have said that she'll let him do it, but I don't think that she would ever be able to go through with it. And I don't think that she would ever be able to um, sacrifice Dawn if she like had to, I don't think she would be able to do it because I think like Buffy just her humanity is very strong. And in season seven, I feel like it's like the Slayer, the Slayer general is there, but I feel like Buffy's humanity remains consistent throughout for me at least. So yeah, I don't know. Like I get, like I said, I get in the context of the episode and of the season why she makes those choices and why she says those things. But I feel that at the end of the day, she wouldn't have let that happen, realistically. Yeah. I have to say, Lies My Parents Told Me is probably one of my five episodes that I am not really looking forward to talking about. Just because I feel like there is a lot there that feels out of character. There's a lot there that kind of Mm -hmm. irreparably ruins some relationships that you love in the show. Yeah, it's just a difficult one. I really liked what Alexandra had to say about it. I feel like she actually like gave a really good answer for it that fit with Buffy's worldview and kind of fit with her mindset and time, like and what she's thinking at that time. And I I think it was really great. For me personally, I agree with you, Leah. I think that I think the the episode even kind of shows us that Buffy would not throw Dawn off of the off the ledge if she had to because at the very end of the episode you see Buffy in Dawn's room stroking her hair mm-hmm. at the very end and it's either right before or right after her conversation with Giles and there's this whole lingering thing of like is she just saying that to Giles just to kind of get him off her back 
And it's like, I don't know that Buffy actually would, you know? I mean, then we have Storyteller mm-hmm. over there where, like, she could have just gone and killed Andrew going, well, it's blood probably. Let's just see if his blood opens the seal or closes the seal. And, like, who cares if he dies? Like, we might save millions of people or whatever. Um, but instead, she takes the time and she realizes it's his tears and she actually has that really, like, empathetic conversation with him and it's like no Buffy's still 100% empathetic 100% loving and just soft and all that stuff but there's this general exterior that she has to put on in order to get people motivated and to do what she needs them to do to win the war so mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. it's 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 yeah. it's a toughie for sure all right guys thanks so much for coming in and sharing your thoughts um we're gonna move on to the next question now okay so faith incredible Absolutely love her. And I'm even more excited to talk about where she's going in season four, again in season seven, and then again on Angel because I feel like that's where like all the groundwork that season three has been laying really comes to fruition and really pays off. It's fantastic. So Passion of the Nerd talks about how Faith has been trying to find the thing that pushes Buffy's buttons all season that kind of sways her over to the dark side, if you will. And then she finally discovers that it's Angel. And I never made the connection, but this is why Faith is so angry when she comes back in this year's girl slash who are you and finds that Buffy isn't even with Angel anymore. Because I always was like, why is Faith so hung up on the fact that Buffy's not with Angel? Like that seems so random. But the one thing that Buffy was willing to kill Faith for was Angel. And yet when Faith wakes up from this coma, she comes back and Buffy's not even with Angel anymore. And it makes her feel angry. And I feel like there's a part of Faith that feels like there was this double standard that was imposed on her and almost this like hypocrisy on Buffy's end where Buffy's like, oh, you can't kill people, but I'll go kill you because you hurt my boyfriend. And then the fact that Angel's not even in the picture anymore, Faith's over there like, well, what was I to you? And I don't know. It just gave me a fresh perspective on her thought process there. And it kind of made Faith a little bit more relatable to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'd never thought about that before. So I don't know. I don't know if you guys had thought about it that way, but that was something that just kind of really stuck out to me. Oh, and then the other thing with Faith is Tabby and Leah. When we first talked about Faith's jump in graduation day part one, you guys both thought that Faith was doing it vindictively. While And while I agree with that, I, I thought that she was trying to save Buffy from having to go all the way and killing her and thus becoming her. But then when we watched the dream sequence in graduation day part two, Tabby, you in particular, mentioned that you felt like Faith saying to Buffy that um, – or like giving her like the key to defeating the mayor, you felt like that was an out of character moment for Faith and that you didn't feel like she would turn on him so quickly after killing for him for the past couple episodes. Do you think maybe that it is consistent for her if viewed through the lens of her actually and truly wanting to be a good person deep down? I don't think she recognizes that in herself at that point. She's -hmm. still very much in the midst of everything. I think Faith does want to be a good person, but I do think the writing could have been a little bit better because in that specific thing, it's like they go through this huge battle and right after she's like, okay, and just like relents. You know what I mean? I feel like it could have been done a little bit better. Okay. So I'm done talking about individual characters. We're going to kind of go into a little bit of trivia and then we will wrap this up. 
All right, so Xander tells Cordelia, there's no way I'm getting out of this school alive. Fun fact, so this was supposed to be foreshadowing for the series finale in which Xander was supposed to have died protecting Dawn at the high school. He should have. Who said that? (laughs) What? (laughs) Alexandra's back? (laughs) Leia's back? Um, This fate was switched to Anya instead as Emma Caulfield did not want to come back if the show was ever rebooted, which I thought was really interesting that they decided to switch that to Anya instead of having Xander. I personally think it would have been kind of poetic if they'd had both Xander and Anya die, but that's just me. I I have very unpopular opinions. I would have preferred Xander to die than Anya, personally. (laughs) I like Anya dying. I think it was the best thing for her character, but... I think that one of the core members should have died. I think Giles should have died, too. I was about to say, I was like, I kind of wanted Giles to die last episode. I'm not even mad to say that. He's been pissing me off, like, season six and seven. Or seven. He wasn't there for season six. But season seven, I was like, you're ruining your character for me. Every time he's on screen, I was like, you're making me hate you. And I love giles so freaking much in the early seasons he gives me warm fuzzy feelings i'm like oh my father figure so good season seven i'm like you're pissing me off i just like i needed a good heroic time for him to like like save buffy when we're not save buffy but just like or even he could save buffy and like save everyone and then have like a moment of him like dying in Buffy's arms and him being like I'm so proud of you like we needed a moment and I feel like it'd be very metaphorical it'd be like 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 killing off like the um the watcher meaning Buffy is like gonna be her like her own strong person like like moving on in her life she doesn't need a watcher she doesn't need uh, even though she he wasn't her watcher for a while but it's like I just feel like it would be good ending for him some redemption and everything I agree. I obviously I don't want Giles to die, but I think that the character who would He's make already the most kind sense of dead to, to me in season seven was, <laughs> was Giles just because he was kind of more out of place. He was older. They didn't necessarily need that that figure anymore. Um, and he had just been kind of estranged from Buffy for most of season seven that I feel like it would have ended his arc well for him to you know, sacrifice himself for her one last time and have that final kind of mark for her. And how poetic would it be for the Watcher to, like, die for the be Slayer Be the one that once? dies and not the yeah. Slayer. Yeah. But it would also make Season 7 be okay to me. Like, he's kind of bitter, he's kind of frustrated, and at the very end, he pulls through through Buffy, and then I'd be able to watch Season 7 knowing that that moment is going to happen. But there's See, nothing. I don't think Giles is bitter. And I don't think – I think he's maybe a little bit frustrated, but yeah. I don't, we'll talk about it when we get there, but I, I have a, a slightly different view of Giles than you guys do in season seven. But okay, just a couple more things. So um, every time I see Wesley and Cordelia kiss in Graduation Day Part 2, I think about their um, melodramatic – uh, making fun of Buffy and Angel's relationship in Angel. And I go, did we collectively forget about this kiss, Wesley and Cordelia, as they're like – Wanting, hoping. I always forget that like, they had that because they no become position. such a good friendship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Buffy telling Giles "fire bad tree pretty" is a phrase she actually will say again in "beer bad," and then she'll say the version "fire pretty" in "flooded" when she's kind of not in a great headspace. And I think it's really interesting that she reverses that when she's in the midst of her depressive um, episode. So kind of interesting. 
All right, the dream sequence, and then we'll wrap it up. All right, so I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on this because I think there's a lot of interpretation left for this, but what we do know, what has been like verified and stuff. So I never I never realized that there is a foreshadowing moment in the prom when Giles is talking to Buffy in the library and she says, Giles, we get it miles to go before we sleep, but especially if we're going to vaporize something on graduation day. We should be able to have a little promy fun. One night of glory, not too much to ask. I was literally like, when I saw this last time, I was like, holy cow. Like I remember the moment between Faith and Buffy, but I did not even remember this moment in the prom. So, okay. Glory will refer to Dawn as Little Miss Muffet. Um, 730, counting down to 730, is how many days until Buffy's death in the gift. It's also the time shown on Buffy's alarm clock in Restless during her dream portion of the episode. Tara will tell her the time is wrong. Then when Buffy leaves, Tara will tell her be back before dawn. They are both facing the window looking at the sunrise in the dream sequence. Um, and then the cat. The cat is really interesting. So we talked about how it's the spirit of the Slayer. Um, and we actually focus pretty heavily on Miss Kitty Fantastico and Willow's dream. And Willow also gets up in her dream sequence and Restless and goes and opens the curtain. And there's the dawn, the sunrise coming through. Um, the cat is on the bed. And in another dream sequence between Faith and Buffy, they will be making a bed while Faith says little sis is coming. And Restless, Buffy will look at her bed and say, Faith and I just made that bed. Um, and then when Buffy goes to talk with Sinea in season five, um, with the first in the desert, her spirit guide is a cougar, a giant cat, once again, representing the spirit of the slayer as the spirit guide. And she says, hello, kitty. The shot of Faith saying little Miss Muffet is really interesting. Faith is looking at the sunrise with the rays of sun on her face with Buffy in the background, a shot that is almost completely recreated in the gift when Buffy turns and looks at the sunrise and Dawn is standing behind her and you have that look of peace that goes on Buffy's face. It's just very interesting, the mirroring right there. Um, Okay, so the whole miles to go thing is um, actually a poem by Robert Frost called Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. The text of the poem reflects the thoughts of a lone wagon driver, the narrator, pausing at night in his travel to watch snow falling in the woods. It ends with him reminding himself that despite the loveliness of the view, I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. So I won't read the whole poem for you guys. I'm just going to read the last portion, which I feel like is the part that um, most everybody remembers and what Buffy's saying here. It says, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. So we have talked a lot this season about fairy tales and metaphors. And one of the biggest things that we talk about is the woods and how it's used in stories. The woods is a place of change. The woods is often used as like a time of uh, turmoil and a lot of challenging stuff that happens. And so I it's also important to remember that um, Into the Woods is an episode title in season five, and it's the episode that Riley leaves. And I argue that that is the episode where things start to get really dark in the Buffyverse and where Buffy's, it just kind of just gets harder and harder and harder. And she even mentions this too to Dawn later on the season when she says like, ever since Riley left, like there's a very clear, um, I think that episode is very clearly entitled that because they're kind of pointing back to this Robert Frost poem, and it's pointing to ultimately Buffy's death. 
Um, so the poem is often used in eulogies for loved ones at funerals. Uh, Sid Davis of Westinghouse Broadcasting reported the arrival of JFK's casket to the White House and signed off the air by reading the last lines of the poem. Justin Trudeau rephrased the last stanza of this poem in his eulogy to his father, saying, The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. He has kept his promises and earned his sleep, which I feel like is very fitting for Buffy. So we talked about this in the spoiler-free episode about how the spirit of the Slayer is kind of representation of the Slayer being um, at their their full strength and how like Faith giving Buffy everything she needs is, again, the fact that neither one have everything that's required to be um, their full potential. So the spirit of the Slayer makes its next physical appearance in the season four finale in Restless as Sinea is the first Slayer. And I actually did not know that. So a little backstory about Sinea before we we end. Um, in prehistoric Africa, a young girl named Sinea was taken against her will by three powerful mages, the Shadow Men, to become the ultimate weapon in the fight against the dark forces that plagued the world. They chained her to the floor of a cave and, using powerful magic, imbued her with the heart, soul, and spirit of a demon. Thus, the first layer was created. And that's on Buffy vs. Wiki. And I think that's so fascinating because we see that in with the Shadow Puppets. Then Buffy ends up going into that portal seeking more power from the Shadow Men in order to fight the first evil. And ultimately, she rejects what the Shadow Men try to give her because that would mean giving up uh, more of her humanity. And we're going to be talking more as we go into season four about the metaphorics of the spirit, the mind, the heart, and all of that as we head towards the season finale, Restless, which, whew, that's going to be fun to talk about. But it's really interesting even like looking in season three, how we're starting to see some of that. We've talked about Xander as like the metaphorical heart, but one of the people that we don't talk about very much is Willow as the metaphorical spirit. So um, Passion the Nerd talks about how in choices, Willow makes the choice to stay in Sunnydale. And if you view her through the lens of being the metaphorical spirit, her decision to stay and fight because she sees Buffy fighting and she comes to the conclusion just as Buffy makes the decision to stay and fight. Willow is a metaphor of Buffy recognizing that choosing to stay and fight is always going to be in the cards for her. Um, and that's something that Buffy has always known, yet for the first time she's realizing that it's worth it. And we kind of talked about this in the spoiler-free episode. Um, but the fact that Willow is the one that is represented saying all of this is so impactful because she's supposed to represent Buffy's spirit. And as Passion of the Nerd says it, he goes, Buffy's spirit has now entered the fight, which I just absolutely love. Um, and then Buffy telling Xander he is the key to all of this in Graduation Day Part 2. I know we talked about how like, why is Buffy saying Xander is the key of all of this? And I think that's Joss trying to write Buffy's heart is the key to all of this. Or maybe that he ends up with the key in the comic book. <laughs> oh, no. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, But the whole idea that Xander going around and trying to gather people and trying to unite the classmates together, the reason why Buffy has even reached that conclusion is because of earshot, is the empathy that she's seen for her classmates. And it's just another step in Buffy's progression and in her arc. And so the fact that Buffy is telling Xander her metaphorical heart, like you are the key in all of this, I think is just, is really kind of beautiful, even if you don't like Xander. All right. And then last but not least, so we talked about season seven, again, the shadow men trying to give Buffy the power and a huge 
huge part of Buffy's journey through season five, six, and seven is Buffy really wrestling with her ability to love. She feels like she's just a weapon. Um, She feels like she's not capable of being able to care anymore. And you have Sinea appearing to Buffy one last time in season seven, telling her that the power, it's not enough. Um, And then this is ultimately what leads Buffy to sharing her power with the potentials, coming full circle from this moment here, this first dream. And I, so I honestly see this moment between, between Buffy and Faith, not just a foreshadowing of season five's finale, but season seven's finale. You see Buffy and Faith sharing their power in that moment, united to defeat a common evil. And the theme of this show is female empowerment, right? So the idea is that we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to do this together and that together we are at our strongest. We're not supposed to be, you know, isolated. And so this moment with Faith and Buffy is them sharing that power figuratively. And that makes it even cooler when in Chosen they share it literally. You have the moment with them with the scythe. Then you have Buffy handing the scythe off to Faith when she thinks she's going to die. Um and yes, they like Faith goes to fight, but ultimately they are stronger when Buffy stands back up and they all unite together. And and then you have all the potentials coming together as slayers and stuff. And so I just love looking at that common theme woven throughout the entirety of the series of female empowerment about uniting, doing things together, and sharing the power. Um, and I think that makes Chosen even more of a beautiful finale. Um, and I think that enriches the show. So. End of my monologue. <laughs> Amen. What she said. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, are there any other questions or comments? Oh, did someone ask if we were going to do any of the crossover episodes in Angel? I think I saw that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm doing Stay the episodes tuned. with Leah. But TBD. Leah and, Tabby, <laughs> Leah and Tabby will be over for some. We're not sure exactly which ones yet, but they we're will We're really be trying hard to get in on the Faith episodes and um, angel the angel episodes you guys will be there for i will remember you for Mm -hmm. sure Um, but we need to discuss about the other ones and stuff so yeah there will be a a handful so all right guys that is our spoiler episode thank you so much for all of you guys who participated we appreciate all of you guys this is always so fun um yeah we'll have to do some more lives later maybe later on down the down the season and stuff. But as always, guys, thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. And yeah, we will be uploading this episode this next Thursday. So you can listen to it then. And then after that, we'll have rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere. That's always very helpful. So all right, guys, we appreciate you and we will see you guys next time. Bye.